if you know me, you'll know that one of my favorite writers and quotes from that writer is Frederick Beekner. And um, one of the things that he's written that is particularly on my mind in a week like this and a night like this is, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. Maybe we all know this better now than we did 14 months ago. Maybe some of us are still working on the do not be afraid part of that. But we've seen the terrible. We've felt the terrible. We've known the terrible. It's the terrible of isolation and the terrible of death. So many deaths, the terrible of cynicism and nihilism and of bodies being devalued and objectified and killed, of injustice and of nationalism and of white supremacy, of malignant scans and of local gun violence, of domestic abuse, of terror, of addiction, of children at the border and prisoners in cells, of backs against the wall with no end in sight. Terrible things will happen. Terrible things have happened. In fact, the terrible is so massive, so foregrounded, sometimes we feel guilty about the beautiful that we've also seen and felt and known. We don't know how to articulate those two things happening in the same space. The beautiful of intimacy, of service, of slowness, of smallness, of being near to loved ones and having a heart grown fond by the absence of others, of learning new hobbies and finishing new projects, of reorienting and recalibrating how we spend our time, of knowing your roommate better, your spouse better, your kids better, your neighbors better, of proximity, of the resilience of hope and fellowship making a slow, small way. Beautiful things will happen. Beautiful things have happened. We barely have the capacity to hold these two things together, the beautiful and the terrible. It's as we were planning tonight's stations liturgy someone in the group described how the mood should be for this as like christmas but sad someone's text message this week auto corrected holy week to guilt week you know it's so easy to slide to one side of the spectrum here this is one of the reasons over at Oak Church, we've been soaking in the language of the Psalms during this Lenten season to infuse our vocabulary, to give um, a voice, to open up our senses to this kind of language of good and bad, of beautiful and terrible, and the ways they occupy 
the same space. It's a language of beautiful, terrible that not only describes our world, not only survives our world, but deeply understands ourselves and our capacities and our failures and also participates in God's healing in this world. Take Psalm 22, which starts, My God, my God, why have you left me all alone? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my anguished groans? My God, I cry out during the day, but you don't answer. Even at nighttime, I don't stop. You are the Holy One enthroned. You are Israel's praise. Our ancestors trusted you. They trusted you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and they were saved. They trusted you and they weren't ashamed. These are accusations. Part of lament is just reminding God that things aren't right and they don't look right from exactly where you're standing. That's the beginning of lament. This situation of the psalmist is terrible in every sense of the word, isolated and alone, left even by God, in anguish, unanswered. Maybe this past year was the first time in your life that these words became remotely sayable for you in some honest way. Maybe you know these words well, they're really familiar. If you do know these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is good news that these words come out of Jesus's mouth on the cross. A theologian has said, Jesus is God's psalm for the world. It's not an accident that the psalms become the hymnal of the church. When we pray them, we pray Jesus. So we're connected and we're included in Christ's words, in Christ's body. And when things are bad, when the floor has dropped out, when there's no end in sight and no way things are feasibly going to get any better anytime soon, it's easy to come out of his body, out of our bodies. We do that by seeking distraction, by numbing ourselves by seeking fantasy, by powering up or resting control. But on the cross, Jesus stayed in his body. Jesus felt everything we could possibly ever feel. The, the entirety of the suffering of the whole world. To paraphrase the apostle, Jesus, who knew no terrible, became the terrible, that we might become the beautiful of God. We see a shift then in the psalm later. Psalm 22 continues in verse 22. I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the very center of the congregation. All of you who revered the Lord, praise him. All of you who are Jacob's descendants, honor him. All of you who are Israel's offspring, stand in awe of him. Because he didn't despise or detest the suffering one who suffered. He didn't hide his face from me. No, he listened and I cried out to him for help. Verse 
I will declare your name. I will praise your name. The forgotten one remembers. The unsunned one is embraced by the sprinting prodigal father. He didn't despise or detest the suffering of the sufferer. He didn't hide his face from me. No, he listened. Even as the floor dropped out, all the way to Sheol, all the way to the dead, all the way to hell itself. Jesus was acquainted with this bottom downward mobility. After all, he, he started in a, in a manger to an unwed mother. He, he knew poverty. Even as he ministered, he didn't have a place to lay his head. But even as the floor has dropped, the ceiling has also risen. On the cross, Jesus has called us into this increased bandwidth, this increased capacity, a realer reality of the beautiful and the terrible and everything in between. Do not be afraid. This is what it means to be called into the life of God, abundant life. To have our heart's capacities expanded, not to come out of the world or out of our bodies, but more deeply into them. Consider how this God who hears and sees is also the God who feels all things at all times. So in getting in touch with this this massive bandwidth, this beautiful, terrible, all these things happening, we're actually becoming more like God. When Paul tells us to weep and rejoice with others, he's inviting us into a community that experiences the full range of God's desire for creation. God is the one who ultimately rejoices with the rejoicing and grieves with those who are in grief. And sometimes, many times, these things are all happening at the same time and in the same space. And God is big enough and caring enough to feel it all, to know it all, to do it all. Good Friday welcomes us into the good news that our hearts and our minds and our wherewithal can be expanded into God's where God is not absent nor far. God is not forsaken even the most God-forsaken people and places and times and things and events. Because God has been on that terrible cross that this world of sin, our sin, has produced and continues to try to reproduce in this world. An instrument of terror, that moment of forsakenness somehow brought us close brought us in, created a beautiful welcome, a praise not from the margins, but now from the very center of the congregation. This should challenge us in these hard times. It should comfort us too, but it should challenge us in these hard times. When many of us have the privilege to choose whether we want to look away or move away from suffering. The fatigue is real. I understand when it's, when, when it's hard and it, it feels like we've been in the same place and seen these same things and we just want to zone out, to mute, to look away. 
we can choose to numb, we can choose to mute, we can choose to leave our bodies, but we should be challenged to sit and to stay. Like the women by Jesus' side after all the other disciples left. To weep for the terrible, but to look and to hope and to pray in that deep, beautiful working inside of it all. On the cross, Jesus' body yields more than it is. That's how grace works. Inside of this grotesque criminal's death on an instrument of shame outside of the city gates, Jesus becomes our salvation. Have you ever thought of that? The writer of Hebrews somehow declares that for the joy set before him, you didn't think joy was going to come up in that sentence. Jesus endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sits down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus' joy is somehow the counter-agent of despair. It's a, it's a work of resistance against death. And we're called into this joy, even on a night like tonight. Jesus' terrible death doesn't only make sense of the world's suffering, but by God's creative grace, it can even make it beautiful. So as we move through this season of sorrow, will you stay in your body? Will you lay down your defenses and your controls, trusting that God will take care of you, that God is enough, that God is there, that God cares? Will you call out to this God who hasn't forsaken you, but who hears because he's been there. He's gone ahead of you to the cross. Will you join others who are grieving, like really join in their grief, stay there or join with those who are rejoicing, even if that's not remotely where you are, allowing God to open and to grow and to shape your heart after God's own heart. And will you walk with Jesus into this abundant, overflowing, expanded, and overlapping, beautiful, terrible way of living in this world? Into this rich and full life that is only gained by losing it and only fulfilled by being emptied. Will you all pray with me? Lord Jesus, we confess that we we're rarely capable of holding these things together. <laughs> we, we we sing these songs and uh, we want to know your cross as a comfort and as our salvation, as as um, a reversal. Um, that, that even cast our sin as, as a way to know you better and to be saved by you. Um, we're limited in our ability to do that. Uh, grow our ability to do that so that we can live in this world and see it all and experience it all and have our heart shaped to your heart so that we um, can feel deeply and um, participate in your healing. 
that comes through sacrifice, that comes through relying on you and calling out to you. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you have gone there and that you're with us. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.